Good morning. Today is the fifth and final Christmas special for the Knowing Jesus podcast, and today we're going to be reading Luke chapter two, verses one through forty. I, uh, but before we do that, I did. <laughs> I'm learning how to communicate better over here. Should have said, hey, we were taking a short break in the John series to do a Christmas special. Um, one for myself, and I know for others, it can be easy to get lost in the hustle and bustle and so of Christmas and all that. So I wanted to focus on the Christmas narrative uh, for a special, and then we'll dive right back into John, I think, starting next week. So without further ado, let's start the fifth and final Knowing Jesus Christmas special. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those to whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to him. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. 
It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, The child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee into their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. First, apologies for the different audio quality today. Maybe you can or can't tell. I've recently moved my desk in the basement to prepare for baby and um, Zoom uh, meetings with my clients. And I guess I haven't figured out the sound acoustics yet. Plus, it's like negative six degrees outside, so the heater is constantly running. Can't turn that off today. So, apologies for extra noise. But with that said, let's dive into the processing part for today's episode. One of my favorite moments in this story is that the shepherds are just out in the fields. They're watching their flocks, and an angel comes to them. And then different translations, it it makes it sound like the heavens open up, and there are thousands or countless angels in the sky worshiping and praising that Jesus has been born. I love that one, these shepherds, right? So low people on the totem pole, they're low class, they're insignificant to society, and the Lord chooses to send an angel to them and to tell them the good news. Second, I love that God doesn't hold back in the celebration of his son. He does something magnificent by opening the heavens and thousands of angels are praising God because of this shifting moment in the story. The entire Old Testament, the whole story has been leading up to this moment. This is the beginning of the prophecy being fulfilled back in Genesis, where it talks about the serpent having to walk on its belly or crawl on its belly, and the idea that the serpent will bite his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. Jesus will crush the serpent's head. Jesus 
will bring humanity back into relationship with God. Jesus will do away with sin and death. And this is something to celebrate. So then the shepherds hurry to find Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And I don't think I realized in this account, it doesn't mention gifts. I guess these are the shepherds, they're not the wise men, so that's probably why it's not mentioning that part of the story. But after they see, see Jesus, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. Then the story quickly shifts. It talks about eight days go by, and it's time to circumcise Jesus because that's the Jewish law. On the eighth day, you circumcise male child. And there's another point that might be easy to miss. I don't know why I know this. I don't uh, love the book of Leviticus. I don't remember much of it, but I believe it's in Leviticus where it talks about the different sacrifices uh, that different classes offered. If you can't afford um, a certain animal, turtle doves were the cheapest animal, and so poor or lower class people would offer the cheapest option. We can see that you know God's equity and kindness to say, I understand the, the burden of, and I'm just I don't remember if this is the actual animal, but if a sheep costs $100, um, turtle doves are like two bucks. So, hey, I want you to be able, you still need to sacrifice. You still need to give to me and trust me, but I'm going to make the burden less for you. We can see God's heart and intention and care and mindfulness for what people are capable or able to do. Then another interesting part in this story, verse 25, we're introduced to this character, Simeon. Righteous man, devout, similar phrases used for uh, Zechariah. This man is holding on and waiting for the Messiah to come. I think that's so beautiful. The story doesn't tell us if there are many others waiting for that. It doesn't say if this is a rare thing. I can only imagine, though, because of how our hearts are, and how human beings, we all get so distracted and we get discouraged and we get hopeless. And it has been, I believe, 400 years since significant you know, prophets and things like that have arisen. And yet this man is still saying, please, God, I believe. And please let me see your Savior. For me, at least, what I take away is this man's priorities are set on the correct things. Instead of just doing business as usual, Instead of being obsessed with uh, culture and the day and the problems at hand, he's like, I understand that we need a savior and I'm waiting for that savior to arrive. And his dream, his big dream and big request in life is that he can see the savior of Israel be born. <laughs> and God grants him that request. It makes me think of Solomon and how God comes to Solomon, I forget if it's a dream or a vision or prayer time, but says, ask me anything and I will give it to you. Solomon doesn't ask for wealth. He doesn't ask for power. He doesn't ask for strength. He asks for wisdom, not for himself, but so that he can be a righteous and just you know, judge, not in the complete occupation, but as a king, he can judge rightly, he can do justice, and he can serve the people of God well. And God ends up giving him more than that. But God particularly points out 
that Solomon has a right heart. You can only imagine the Simeon character has a right heart. And it's convicting for me how many times I ask for things to make my life more comfortable, to have more control, to have more power, to whatever it is, instead of saying, God, give me the things that you want me to have. And I don't mean things like materials. I mean like peace and patience and kindness and love and the abilities to so quickly own my mistakes and apologize and take responsibility from my failures. Give me a good and pure heart. Not necessarily all these things that I get caught up in the hustle and bustle. The human part of me, you know, transitioning on to a little bit, a few verses later, Simeon takes the child in his arms and praises God. I'd be like, hold on here, dude. Don't know who you are. Why are you holding my baby? <laughs> um, anyways, it doesn't seem to concern anybody. It seems like it's actually the Lord. Um, probably not going to happen these days. But uh, this man takes up the child and starts praising God. And then he starts prophesying. He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light and revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So fascinating thing here. Jews hated Gentiles, didn't like them. Um, I can only imagine that some Gentiles hated the Jews. They had incredibly different cultures and different stances on things. And yet so early in this story, we're told that Jesus is for all the nations, Jews and Gentiles. And although this is specifically said for the Jewish you know, readers at this time, challenging them, bringing them on board, we all need to be reminded that Jesus is for everyone. There aren't particular classes, cultures, ethnicities, races. Jesus is for everyone. And we can't even um, separate that oh, Jesus is for this kind of sinner, but not this kind of sinner. Jesus is for everyone. And I can't even imagine as Simeon continues to prophesy and say, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Awesome, easy, easy enough to digest, but then a sword will pierce your own soul too. As he is saying this to Mary, but here we reveal this very interesting nature of Jesus, and I think we need to zoom in. Because although I often try to emphasize the love and the compassion, the kindness, the incredible invitation aspect of Jesus, he also is so challenging. He's offensive. He causes the rising and falling of, our, uh, of many. He reveals our hearts. And let's be honest, if all of our hearts were revealed, be some nasty stuff. It's not good. We all are sinners. We all fall miserably short. And that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to face the reality that no matter how good we think we are or others think we are, we fall short. And every single one of us, humbling and beautiful, every single one of us needs Jesus's grace, forgiveness, and for him to lift us up and clean us. None of us can do that on our own. 
I wonder sometimes if it just absolutely requires us to be able to name and see the ugly, dark parts of our hearts, to name it and say, wow, this is some dark stuff, God, I need you to clean this, forgive me, and simultaneously hold that you knew this 20 years before I realized it. You knew this before I was born. You knew how nasty and, me- and messed up all of our hearts are, and yet you continued and desire to make us come into existence, walk with us, and invite us into relationship with you. We have to hold that tension. I know people that can, you know, once we talk about the the dirty stuff, they're like, well, then God doesn't love me. No, that's absolutely not what scripture says. We have to hold the tension of dignity and depravity. So as we wind down today, um, I feel like praying uh, for myself, but I invite you in to the prayer as well and to your own prayer after this. Um, I'm so passionate about trying to be try, relational with God and honest with God. Um, I think that's where the biggest change and the biggest beauty comes about. So, uh, dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would help me not feel the need to be right, to have the last word. I mean, we're talking about um, having conversations with family and people that we we don't have a lot in common with. I pray that you would help me and all of us see opportunities. Um, I know for me, it's so easy to just be like, I want the comfortable traditions and for things to be fun all the time and just rest and all those, those things are good. It's okay to desire those things and want those things. Help me also be more selfless. Um, whether it's friends and family, strangers, whatever, I pray that you would help me prayerfully ask for opportunities and then serve and take risks and be kind and give me and my brothers and sisters wisdom. I can only think of times where anger, hatred, politics comes up around family. I'm guilty of that. My, my wife and I had to apologize to our, uh, my, my brother-in-law, her brother uh, and sister-in-law about just letting um, anger arise. And I pray that you'd help, whether it's me, others, graciously, lovingly point us back to Jesus. Our disagreements are, are rather pointless and, and they don't accomplish much of anything if we're not asking God to change our hearts and have that vision of his kingdom. So I pray, give us the vision of your kingdom, the desire for your son to be seen as great, for our security to be found in you, Lord. Not politics, not money, not 401ks, vacations, whatever. Help us find our security in you. Help us uh, repent publicly and privately uh, for the things that we do. It says confess our sins to one another. I think the Catholics do a very beautiful job of that by having an, an instituted a confession booth. And though I think it could be tweaked to not just one person, I think public confession of sin is it's rather beautiful. I don't know if you've ever been vulnerable. <laughs> Sorry, this is like half prayer, half processing, but this is awesome. Often how my uh, prayers are with God. But if you've ever been around people that are vulnerable about their sins and they confess, it can often cause a chain reaction when one person is honest about where they are and honest about how much they need God, it can often encourage others to do the same. Be a leader. 
um, not for your own glory or to be seen as some super Christian, but be a leader because someday you're going to need someone to be a leader for you when your heart is more stuck or stubborn or hardened. I know I've needed that. I've been that for others and I've needed that from others. We are a family. We need each other as the brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, no one, we're not competing for glory or for, for, for being the best son or daughter. We are just working together to try to bring Jesus glory because he's invited us in that. He doesn't need us. I love the most recent episode of The Chosen. They nailed it, I think, with Zeke. Um, or I think it's a nickname. I can't think of who he's actually representing. But we don't, Jesus doesn't need us. <laughs> he invites us, though, into this mission, into serving him and doing that with him. So Heavenly Father, change our hearts. Let us be not because we are, but because you are in us, a light to the nations, willing to turn the other cheek, not forcing what we think is your will or what we think is good for other people. Let us be humble servants. Let us be kind and patient, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Teach us and make us more mature, more like you. Well, friends, I thank you so much for listening in general to the Knowing Jesus podcast and an extra thank you for those listening to this Christmas special. It's been a lot of fun and it's been fun inviting you into just my personal processing during the season. So stay tuned. We'll be back on our regular schedule. I believe, you know, it depends when you're listening to this, but as of now, it will be Wednesday, uh, I believe the 28th, if I'm remembering the, the date is when we will pick back up with John and we'll keep going strong, keep going through the rest of the Bible. Thanks so much for listening and have a Merry Christmas. Take care.